With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast, back for the really the first week of results. I'm Ed McGrogan with Steve Tigner. No background music this week, though. I am getting a little more ready for the Masters, as, as we mentioned. Um, you know, one bit of music, obviously, that came up yesterday, um... David Bowie, not in, he was a little bit before my time, Steve. I I must confess, though, obviously, you know, it's, you can't avoid uh, his music through, you know, no matter when you were around. You know, any maybe parting words from you? You have obviously a, a music background of your own, critically, and I think uh, just how much you enjoy it. Yeah, um, I guess I was just surprised. I think everybody was. He just has a, a new, just had a new album out a few weeks ago um i guess for me i was more of a fan less of a fan of his different persona um or his different sort of changing images and more of just it's just had a lot of great songs that um that were unique and i guess when it, when you look back now he really was more ahead of his time overall with his presentation than i guess i i realized in the past so it's sort of a Maybe it's a chance to go back and 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 appreciate a little more what he was about. I was less of a, a huge fan of his at the time, but but just reading about him now and and putting him in perspective, how sort of how far ahead of his time and how how much he kept up with the times, you know, really a new appreciation for him in that sense. And and it's tough because he was you know he wasn't even seventy and obviously still going strong. Yeah, it's the. Uh, I think I think the hallmark of most people that we look back on is, is that they are ahead of their time in almost any field or endeavor that they're involved in. And I think, uh, I think that's a good way to put it. And uh, is is really, you know, the mark of someone that uh, we've comes to endure and I think will do, continue to do so. Of course. So, um, so on to tennis, and you know we have a, I think quite a bit to. To look over um, this past week one, this weekend, uh, you know, we we did go over last week, and and it kind of got off on the wrong foot. Um, certainly on the women's side, with a lot of withdrawals, you know, there was even um, a note or a tweet put out saying that between last week and this week, that the all of the WTA's top nine in some way, shape, or form had had withdrawn from events, uh, tournaments, uh, but. You know, in spite of that, we had a, I think, a very significant weekend of results and a lot of, I think, talking points for you know what's coming up next week, the Australian Open. The biggest to me, um, you know, 
one of many that you could call one of the biggest results. Uh, we just wanted to start with Milos Raonic, who, who beats Federer in the Brisbane final um, and does so not with you know a 7-6, 6-7, score line, which is what we've seen from him, him against Federer, him against other great players. This one seemed a little different. Um, it's also the opening week of the year, so there's a lot. Fetter had some ailments too that I don't think can be entirely discounted. But but overall, I think the buzz of Milos is back a little bit, and I think it's worth uh, going over. Yeah, I think you know you'd start with that last year he was injured for a lot of the time, um, had foot surgery, and dropped out of the top ten. You know, I don't know what this win means for him other than the fact that he sort of stopped that decline you know you can you can look at him and now say that well maybe maybe it was the injury maybe he really just needed to heal and um and he's going to be fine he's going to you know he was up in the top 10 and, and had been a threat he made the quarterfinals at the australian last year um this the final was a, it's also a little hard to tell like you said Federer wasn't was had been sick and he definitely wasn't at his best in this match missing a, a lot of shots that that he normally wouldn't. Um, one thing Milos did besides serve huge, as always, was really used his forehand um, more effectively than I think I've ever seen again him do against the top player. He basically camped out in his backhand side and controlled the points from there. Federer really couldn't do much about it. He couldn't couldn't really move him over into his forehand. Milos over into his fo- his forehand side and um, sort of take control from there. It's that you know how much that was Federer not being at his best, and how much that's something new that Milos can use in the future. We'll see. You know, it's it is good to see him playing the way he should play, and 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 not being you know being and and possibly progressing and getting you know adding something new to his game. It's been a long time we've been waiting for that. Yeah, and um, and with him, I think the forehand's a, a big, an important thing to bring up there. You know, him and Federer, honestly, those are two guys that we, I'm, you know, I'm not going to compare the two, the backhands of the two, but they don't want to be, they don't want to be hitting with that shot as, as much as possible. And once the points get going, you know, Raonic has, I think, perhaps one of the game's better forgotten forehands when he can, you know, when he can harness it, really. He, he does, you know, he he can be ending points just as effectively from say the third or fourth shot of a rally, uh, third or fifth shot really after his serve. Where uh, you know if he can just if even if the serve isn't enough to take the point away, he if he's landing well, he should be able to really apply just as much pressure with that forehand. And I think that's you know injury and inconsistency with him, and and that's something that's really held him back. He's still actually. Um, he's still only number 14 in the rankings, and that's really going to be pivotal when it comes to where he's slotted in um, in Melbourne. And uh, coming off this week, that's going to be, I think, one of the one of the bigger stories is where you know not only a player like Rafa and and the others that you know we don't know exactly where they could end up in the draw. I think he's going to clearly be one of the big wild cards um and obviously someone that the the bigger guys are not going to want to see in say the the quarterfinal round but um you know to me that's going to be always the big thing for him and 
of course, you know, we'll see, you know, we'll see when it comes to when the stakes are a little higher too. And of course, best of five sets, different ball game too. Yeah. He's typically started pretty well in Australia. Um, like I said, in quarterfinals last year, I think the big thing will be avoiding Djokovic. Obviously that's the one guy you really wouldn't like his, his chances against. He, you know, and he'll face at 14th seed, he'll face somebody, could face somebody like Djokovic or Federer in the round of 16. So, you know, that, like you said, that's a, that's a big early, um, big, you know, something to look for in the draws where Raditz lands. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you mentioned Djokovic. We'll move on to his result in Doha. That's a uh, pretty much even more of a uh, surprise than the roundage result over Federer. It's uh, Djokovic beating Rafa 6-2, 6-1. Um, maybe it wasn't a surprise for a lot for some people. I mean, there's really nothing that has given uh, pause to Djokovic, in, with the exception of the fact that the calendar turned from 2015 to 2016. But, but evidently, you know that that really has not made much of a of a difference. And um, Djokovic, to me, you know, always. I think he's always identified as well with this early portion of the year. It's it's become, it's become something uh, that I think he he takes very good pride in is is getting off to a hot start. You know he's done that in Australia many many times now. Um, you know, and he, and comes into this year's tournament with really just another signature win, another little feather going on here after really just taking apart Rafa in this final, and, you know, it definitely says a lot about both guys. Yeah, 16 straight finals, a year's worth of finals, which is, um, you know, what can you say about that? The, the only person who's reached more was Ivan Lendl, and Lendl did it at a time when the tours were split up between WCT and ATP. You know, he wasn't doing it always against the strongest opponents. Djokovic almost always is doing it against making these finals and beating really top Hall of Fame players along the way. So an amazing achievement there. But I thought this one match really was signif- you know, signified what Djokovic and Nadal, Djokovic's game specifically against Nadal is like now. He's just, we always sort of knew, for, you know, it's, for a long time we've known, maybe five years, that Djokovic had the advantage, basic advantage in that matchup, in the way they play. But now it's just really has, he's just exploited all of that, taken complete, you know, complete advantage of that, that um, of his edge in that sense, and, and it's almost as if the better Nadal plays in his game, it just allows Djokovic to to do more. The ball, you know, Nadal's shots just seem to feed into Djokovic's serve, his forehand, even his best forehands. Djokovic just has has an answer. I mean, I I do think this was the best I've seen Djokovic play over for a two out of three set match in a short burst like that. I, it's hard to get much better beating. One of the best players ever in 73 minutes, 30 winners to nine. Um, and, you know, it really from the beginning of the match, it looked to me like Djokovic, you know, had no doubt that he could win the match and win points whenever he wanted. So in that sense, it's you know, it's also symbolic, and it's the first time that Djokovic has passed Rafa in their their head-to-head rivalry, 24-23. Now, so you sort of look into the future and think. Is this the time when Djokovic passes him on the all-time list? He'll he'll have to match him in Grand Slams, of course. But but now you start to think Djokovic is going to is gonna pass Rafa. You know, it's starting to seem more likely, and and maybe finish ahead of him when when everything's said and done. 
Yeah, that, that's you know that's a, a big discussion point that I always thought that we you know a, a year ago at this time is when I sort of had the thought that it, that 2015 would is such, was such a pivotal year for Djokovic in terms of um, really kind of just racking up those those majors that you know kind of keeping with with the momentum that he had I thought I thought last year was such an opportunity to get to a position like this where where he is in that um, you know that we could start possibly talking about him um, not just as the here and now alongside Rafa and, and Federer but in historical terms and and we're clearly getting to a point where we you know depending on on what he does this year um, that we'll have to take a little, a, a really a different look than I think many of us ever thought as to where we assess Djokovic um, in the sports hierarchy. And um, you know, he's clearly he's the he's the runaway favorite at in Melbourne. I don't think there's I don't think any other argument can be made. I think where we wonder is is really who is Djokovic's top competition down there. I mean. It, it, to me, it it may end up being, and I and you, I, I think alluded to this a bit. Is it really may end up being Stan Wawrinka of, of all the players that um, are around him? Is who do we see as most likely to um, to to throw a wrench into another Grand Slam uh, for Djokovic? It, it seems like um, you know, based on what we've seen from Rafa this week, from Federer the past couple majors. Um, it, it's very difficult to see over three of five um, someone taking him out, even of the oh, even of that caliber. But Stan has really been the only thorn recently in Djokovic at the majors, and uh, you know of all things, Stan, you know in in Chennai this week in a tournament that probably wasn't seen by too many, you know he, right off the bat he takes a title too um, coming into Melbourne. Yeah, this is his, you know, this is his tournament really. He he's won the last 2 years um and each of those years he, you know, he came up and he also won a grand slam. So if that's if that's any any indication, he's at least started well again. He must feel really comfortable coming to Australia. I think as he showed at the French Open, you know, he's the guy most likely to beat Djokovic A over 3 out of 5 sets. Federer didn't do that last year. And B even when Djokovic is on his game, you feel like, you know, Vavrinka could beat him if if he's also he can you know he can play bigger. To the like point. It, like is peak Stan actually better than peak Djokovic? That, uh, that's almost I, what. Yeah. It, I mean, I don't think I wouldn't say that, but if Djokovic, I feel like Federer needs needs Djokovic to be a little off the way he was at the World Tour Finals, or needs to finish him off quickly in two out of three. Whereas, you know, Stan has shown he can take. You know, solid Djokovic and beat him over three out of five just with, with his shots. Um, and he took him to five sets at the Australian Open last year. He's taken him to five sets a couple times there, and beaten him there. So, so that's you know that's the guy as far as that's the one guy you would probably say he's the only thing keeping Djokovic from just being the all-out you know just hand him the trophy favorite at this point. Yeah, and. Um... The way it's going to shake out, you know, Rafa actually did not. I was just looking at where the rankings are. If there was no, the only movement in the top ten, in fact, the only movement in the top sixteen was 
a swap of places between Nishikori and Ferrer at 7 and 8. So, you know, the four Djokovic, Murray, Federer, Rinka are going to be uh, sex, are going to be sectioned off into the four quadrants there. Um, so if it's if it's another Ravrinka Djokovic Aussie Open match, which has really been that's been the rivalry of that tournament for the past couple of years now, um, they've just given us some of the best tennis we've seen down there. Um, it would happen in the semifinal stage or, or possibly a final there. Um, you know, another note about Chennai, you see um, Borna Chorich making the final. He, you know, he's the one who, who lost to Rinka there, but that's a real nice start to the season for him. Um, and I think, I think we're, he is, he started around the, around number 50 in the rankings and, um, to see where Chorich ends up is going to be, um, I think one of the, uh, one of the better non top 10 stories on the ATP tour this year. Yeah. He, um, you know, he's only 19, just the one stat of interest to him is the first teenager to make a final, and the ATP tour since 2008. So, you know, he's, he's continuing on that path of, of being, you know, of being in the next, you know, guy who's going to be into the top 10. He's only 44th now, which seems low for all we've heard of him. It seems like he has a lot of, you know, he has a lot of potential to move up. You could see him in the top 25, top 20 by the end of this year, I would think. Any more in the ATP, or we we can move over to the, uh, the WTA side of things. I guess the one thing I would, Talking about Stan, that makes me think of him. He's the guy who's the challenge to Djokovic, but but it just will be interesting if he's if he plays Federer. I would like to see that again. It seems like Federer has hung on to his advantage over over Stan, maybe a little longer than you would have, you know, you would have thought. He beat him badly in the Open semi. But what would happen if they play again? It seems like it's time for Stan to do a little better than that. Yeah, that was. I mean, he that Open. That open semi to me was one of the sh- most shocking results of the season. Even as good as Federer had had looked um, throughout the open coming into that point, and Stan, I I had thought over time, I, you know, his his rival, his head to head with Federer is 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 pretty much it's it's pretty brutal on on his part. But he did rack up, he did get a couple of wins. Um, I think maybe just a couple, literally, and but it's never really turned into sort of a give and take. One Roger is still, has still kind of owned that, and um, you know it's it's the uh, it's always interesting when you, when you have those two that have had history in a variety of different ways. Um, his teammates um, for Switzerland, they had kind of an interesting kerfuffle at the last uh, World. Uh, Two years ago at the, in London, but um, that's obviously another great, you know, potential semifinal as well, even a final maybe at uh, at the Aussie, depending on what shakes out. Um, for the women, as I said, uh, I think it, things got things got better as uh, as the weekend came about, as things always tend to do in tennis. Real, I have to say that for as much sort of chaos that can envelop over a week's time even a two weeks time at a slam at a tournament you know I, I have to say it always does kind of neatly boil down into, into a weekend into a final that tends to give some resolution and the way it, the way it worked out in Brisbane with Victoria Azarenka you know maybe some more resolution and more something to think about um, you know at the than we could have 
than maybe we thought going into this year. But, you know, we we look at her scores as to how dominant she was in Brisbane. These, you know, none of the sets were even particularly close. And you and I were even, you know, talking about before before we were kind of you wrapped the weekend with your, you know, looking at the 10 most significant achievements of the weekend players. I mean, there's a very good case to be made that Azarenka's win in Brisbane and how good she did there was actually the most significant story of them all. Yeah, I think it was. You know, we know we know Djokovic is on top of the, his game, is, but we didn't really we don't know that about Azarenka, and we don't we're not still not sure what to think of her. I think you know, basically for the last year, I've been saying she's going to be back in the top five anytime soon. Just just wait. A lot of people have been beating that drum out. And she finished the year twenty, you know, ranked number twenty-two. So, but this seemed like a a significant win and winning a title for the first time in two years and doing it at the same time, like you said, that the top, I think nine of the top ten either withdrew or retired in the first week, including the top four, including her, you know, the people will who will be her top competition in Australia: Serena, Maria, Halep, uh, Muguruza, all s- sort of you know, bat, not battling injury, but at least making sure that they're healthy for the Australian Open. Um, and with those injuries, I think we should say that I think you just wait for a Grand Slam to really see where people are. At this point, it's kind of, I think, mo- a lot of it is is how do I protect myself and make sure I'm ready for the Aussie Open? And, you know, it could be that everybody's going to be okay when that tournament starts and we'll forget all about the these injury problems. Maybe not, but... But um, I think you really wait for the slam to start. That you know, these weeks before the slams are always going to be chaotic. Um, but like, but Azarenka, you know, she seems, you know, she won't be. She's now she's in the top sixteen. So yeah, I was just about draw. just about to mention that. Yeah, she gets sixteen, and that's you know obviously pretty significant when we come to seeding there. So it's a. Yeah, that's a fourth round at the. You're not going to see like a, a second round or third rounder with him, with with excuse me, with with her against you know, take your pick a Serena, a Halep, anyone like that. Yeah, I think also Vika said after after she won, she said she, now she for the first time she feels like the work she's been doing and 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 the direction she's been going, she knows it can pay off for the first time. It's her first win with the with her new coach and new hitting partner from last year. So I think, you know, I think that's a, that's significant as well. It's, 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 it's the first time she feels like there's been success with in this comeback, sort of long comeback from being injured. Yeah. I think you, I think in any sport you need that validation of, of something tangible that, that, and a result like that certainly, you know, has done that for Azarenka. Um, she's another player, of course, who's had a great history in Australia. Uh, two-time champion. It's where she's won, you know, her, both of her of her slams. So that's you know an, another bit of of uh, something to con- to consider when you know maybe filling out the brackets or thinking about that. She's certainly going to be a a very trendy pick for this tournament. So it's going to be um, the draws that that come out a couple days from now will be pretty telling where she ends up. Um, the 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 other final um, tournament I want to get to uh, in Shenzhen um, is another one where we wondered where you know where does 2015 stop and 2015 begin? Is it all sort of an, a clean slate? 
you know, can you really, can you really keep momentum going? Um, is that even really a thing that we should be considering um, with when you are talking about a couple months off here? And you know, for sure, this is not a field that's um, WTA a WTA Finals esque field. But uh, the player who won the WTA Finals, Agnieszka Radwanska, and someone who you know we've kind of thought about as well, maybe that is a maybe that's really a significant um, moment for her in her career. Um, you know, talking about someone who I think needs to see validation for a lot of good. Tennis, you know that was a big, that was her biggest title, and she wins a tournament to open the year um, over Allison Risk of the U.S. Um, good result for her, of course, too. So, so Rodwanska, someone else who I think obviously will be um, looking for see where that how that happened, how that shakes out in Melbourne. Yeah, Rodwanska, you know it's almost like at least I almost forgotten that she won the WTA Finals in, in Singapore. It seemed at the time to me like maybe it was kind of a one-off. Serena wasn't there, but with this, you start to think: Does that mean she's turned it around? Does that really help her confidence going forward? She's been close in Australia before she made the semis and lost to Sibokova. You know that was a a big disappointment for her. But she's been close in Australia. Um, she wins this tournament. Didn't beat anybody of note in the, you know didn't beat anybody I think in the top ninety. But uh, you know what? A win is a win, and I th- I think even better. She dropped out of the tournament she was supposed to play this week, which normally. She she plays every tournament and doesn't really focus on the Grand Slams. It's kind of been her history. Maybe doing that is a good sign as far as what she's going to put into the Australian Open, how she feels she can do at, at a Grand Slam this time. Maybe taking this week off, um, that you know that'll be a positive. Yeah, and um, you know lots lots of uh, results, lots of um headlines from this first week like i said you get kind of a crush of news and a crush of information after such a a dormant time over the previous month you know just looking at what we see here on you know the the news headlines you got um content bouchard has zero expectations for aussie open there's another player we'll be looking at serena i should we should mention her um she says that the knee issues that um that come up that have you know came up last week you know should not uh, preclude her in any way at, in Melbourne looking good for that tournament. Um, you know Belinda Bencic went down early last week, admits newfound attention has been difficult on her. So um, a bit there you know with her someone that will be another um, you know another very young player on tour that we I think have some heightened expectations this year, and of course. Um, Tomich apologizes for practice court confrontation at local club. It it really wouldn't be, um, it, it it couldn't all go that smoothly for for the Aussies. Though you actually had something pretty, I think, I, good to say about Tomich. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. you know he's going to do his best in Australia. He always he always you know seems to save him up, save himself up for this month and and do something that makes you think he's going to he's finally found the key. But and then he then you know he throws it away the next month. But I do feel like I don't, for whatever reason, his overall play last year and starting this year that, and he's in the top twenty, which somehow seems amazing to me. That Tomac could have, you know, will have a good year, will have a better year overall than than we've come to expect, and and you really think that it should start at at the Australian Open. So 
I sort of feel like maybe he's maybe because he has these younger Australian guys who are even crazier than he is. Maybe maybe to- will mature by you know just by default. Or it's, it's true. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully not start and end in Australia, which yeah. they have done before, for sure. So the draws, like I said, will be out in the next couple of days. Um, full previews from Steve on Tennis.com, of course. And we will be, uh, we'll certainly be potting about that um, as well. We'll, uh, we'll for sure be on uh, once again a week from now at this time, but I think we uh, may have to get in one in between there to, to go over what we have, what we can expect um, at the Australian Open, which begins in just a few days. So uh, until then, this is Ed McGrogan for Steve Tigner here at the Tennis.com podcast. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com. 